Turn your Bibles to uh, two openings of Scripture, uh, Proverbs chapter 20 and uh, Romans chapter 8. We've been teaching for a number of weeks uh, a series that we've entitled The Spirit of Man, and we kind of uh, made that title for the series so that we could kind of go wherever we wanted to with it. We've talked about and used uh, up to this point, we've used a, a text Scripture from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23 where it identifies the threefold nature of man, the three parts of man, spirit, soul, and body. We've located the spirit. We've talked a little bit about the soul. The body's easy. We don't have to talk much about that. Everybody knows how to identify the body. And uh, we've talked a little bit about the leading of the Holy Ghost in, um, uh, in the, the respect of where he's going to lead you. He's always going to lead you into the word. We've talked about the development of the character of God um, by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Tonight, I want to talk to you a little bit more about how to be led by the spirit, specifically how to listen to your own spirit. Now, in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27... We've looked at this before, I believe. It says the spirit of man. Now, remember, it's not news to God that man is spirit, soul, and body. He knew that in the Old Testament just as much as we found out in the New Testament. And so when the Holy Spirit inspired the writer of, the, of Proverbs to say these things, the Holy Spirit knew things that, that we would, uh, or they at that time didn't know, and we are just finding out uh, in, uh, uh, in the fulfillment of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. The spirit of man, not the soul of man, not the body of man, but the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Searching all the inward parts of the belly. Now, you know as well as I do that in Bible days, in the days that the that Proverbs were, was written, there was no electricity. The only way they had to light anything was a little oil lamp, and they called that a candle. Or uh, it's, it probably should be more accurately translated the lamp of the Lord. That's really what it means. The spirit of man is the candle or the lamp of the Lord. It's talking about that which they used in their day to enlighten their darkness, to find their way in the middle of darkness. Well, our day has changed. We've got electricity everywhere. It's kind of hard to find a dark spot now. But if, uh, if we were going to, to alter this verse to make it have the same meaning, we might say the spirit of man is the flashlight of the Lord. The, uh, the, the idea is when you're walking in darkness, God will show you which way to go. When you're walking in darkness, God will guide you. But notice how he guides you. It's not through the mind. It's not through the body. It's not through your reasoning ability. It's not through physical circumstances. When I say the mind and the body, that's what I'm talking about. It's not through your ability to think things through that God's going to lead you. And most people, unfortunately, most people in the body of Christ try to think their way through problems and hope they've found the will of God. But that's not how God leads you. God doesn't lead you through your, through your intellect. Now, he'll bring things from your spirit up to, into your intellect on occasion, but it's not directly connected to your intellect or your reasoning ability. And so much of what takes place in the church world, even in our own circles, is people thinking their way through God and thinking that's the Holy Ghost. And it's not. The spirit realm and the intellectual realm are as different as night and day. It's the spirit of man that is the candle or the flashlight of the Lord. He's going to guide you through your spirit. Guidance comes from the inside, not from the outside. It always comes from the inside, and the inside meaning inside or from within your spirit. Now, in Romans chapter 8, two verses of Scripture, verses 14 and 16, it says in verse 14, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So every child of God, every person that's born again, should expect to be led by the Holy Ghost. Right? That has to be what that means. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Well, how many of you are sons of God or daughters of God by making Jesus the Lord of your life? Then the Bible says that you should expect to be led of the Spirit of God. Now, that's foreign territory to many Christians too. 
A lot of Christians, maybe even most Christians, don't even know God is supposed to lead them or the Holy Spirit is supposed to guide them or the Holy Spirit is supposed to give them any kind of direction in their life. They just go through their life doing the best they can and hope they hope everything turns out well. But that's not what the Bible says it's supposed to be like. The Bible says that it is the Spirit of God that is going to lead you if you are a child of God. Every born-again person has a right and, in my opinion, in my judgment, the responsibility to be led by the Holy Ghost. Now, that brings up another question. How's he going to do it? Well, we know it has to be through the Spirit or else Proverbs is, is incorrect and it can't be inspired by the Holy Ghost. If Proverbs 20, verse 27 says, the spirit of man is the candle or the lamp or the flashlight of the Lord. In other words, the way that he's going to give you guidance in your darkness when you don't know where to go or how to operate. If it's the spirit of man that's identified in the Old Testament, then that has to confirm, be confirmed. If it's truth, it has to be confirmed in the New Testament. Verse 16, the spirit himself, King James says itself, he's not an it. The spirit himself beareth witness with our spirits that we are the sons of God. Or children of God. Now notice the next verse goes on to say, and if children, then heirs, and if heirs, join heirs with Christ. In other words, it's saying the most important thing, and think about how important it is for every believer to know that they're a child of God. Think about how important it is for every child of God, every person that's born again, to know that they are an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. Joint heir with Christ means who they are in Christ and what belongs to them. There's nothing, in my opinion, and I don't think this anybody would try to dispute this, there's nothing more important to know as a Christian. That, number one, you are a child of God, and number two, what meaning a child of God means. It means you're a joint heir with Christ. Being in Him, you have all the fullness of God at your disposal. That's what the whole Pauline revelation is about. The gospel that everybody's going to be judged by, who we are in Christ. That's what that's all about. And notice the first and foremost way of the most important thing that we can know comes to us. That assurance comes to us. That direction comes to us. That knowledge comes to us by what the Holy Ghost refers to as the inward witness. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. Now, to bear witness with your spirit, literally, in the words themselves and and. A lot of times, it's kind of hard to define certain spiritual things. You use natural terms to define spiritual things, and sometimes you come up lacking. I'm not sure this is a good definition, but I'll give you the definition anyway. The uh, The concept or the understanding behind bearing witness with your spirit is to press up against something. You husbands know this. You know how you'll get to talking about something and your wives will nudge you. Maybe under the table. You'll be sitting at dinner with people and something happens and, and she'll nudge you or kick you under the table or something like that. Well, she may not say a word, but that carries a lot of meaning. And it's communicated. It's communicated that you're going the wrong direction. Don't talk about this. Shut up. Or something to that effect, right? Now, by the way, husbands, I'll tell you how to cure that. When your wives do that, turn around and look at her and say, what? Why'd you kick me? I stopped that a long time ago. But that's really what it means. It means to impress, to to touch, to lean upon something for the purpose of guidance. Now, the Bible says the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit. He leans upon, he lays upon, he contacts our spirit for the purpose of us knowing what direction to go or what to do. Now, Jesus gave us a little bit more insight into this because he told us, turn with me over to John chapter 10. Jesus gave us another um, phrase, another way to say this, and he's talking about exactly the same thing. 
Notice what he said. He's talking about himself being the good shepherd. Look at verses 4 and 5 with me first. He says, And when he, talking about the good shepherd, puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Now, if you summarize what Jesus is saying in verse 4 and 5, he's saying, You'll know me, you'll know my voice, or my voice is the guidance that I give you that you know on the inside. In other words, he said, The inward knowing is the voice of Jesus. A stranger, that which you know not, a stranger is the wondering that you have. But when the Lord's speaking to you, when the Lord's leading you, when the Holy Ghost is bearing witness with your spirit, there's an inward knowing. Now notice with me over in uh, uh, verse 14. He said, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Now what does he mean? Does he mean, well, yeah, we made Jesus the Lord of our life so we know him. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about guiding the sheep. He's talking about the shepherd giving guidance and direction to the sheep. He's saying we know the voice of the Lord by the things that we know on the inside. That's how we distinguish the voice of the Lord. So many people are trying to hear God with their natural ear, and you can't. So many people are trying to hear God with their minds, with their intellect, and you can't. But you can hear God from your spirit. Now, when we use the word hear, we think naturally. We think with the natural ear, about the natural ear when we hear that. So we think, okay, we've got to listen real close on the inside. What does that mean? What it means is it's the inward knowing. It's the thing you know on the inside. For example, John said this. He said, we know that we pass from death to life because we love the brethren. How do you know you're saved? Because the love of God's in your heart. How do you know? Because the love of God's in your heart. Yeah, but I don't love everybody. Yeah, you do. You may not feel love toward everybody, but you know that love is there and you know you're supposed to yield to that love. Well, how do we know? We just know. Now, there's another aspect of this that uh, that I think bears, uh, bears mentioning at this point. And I won't have you turn back to this scripture because I trust that everybody knows it. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. Here's the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit is saying in the Old Testament, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. See, even the Old Testament told you the difference between your heart or your spirit and your intellect. He said, you know God from the things on the inside, not through your ability to think and reason things out. Now, Paul tells us some things in the New Testament that kind of bears that out. For example, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, I think it's verse 14, he said, what is it then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. He's saying that when we speak in other tongues, it's our spirit praying, but our understanding is unfruitful. In other words, he's saying there's a difference between the man on the inside and your, and your thinking, your ability to reason. And so many people, maybe 90 plus percent of Christians, try to hear God through their minds. So many times you'll see people pray. And when they're praying hard about something, they squint their eyes and they think. And that has no meaning whatsoever. Praying with your spirit, is something that bypasses your mind altogether. Paul talked about this. He said the utterance that comes from the Holy Ghost doesn't come from your mind. It bypasses your mind, and that's why your understanding is unfruitful. Praying in other tongues is the greatest spiritual exercise that there is as far as distinguishing between your intellect and your spirit, who the real man on the inside. Now, let me show you something else that Paul said about this. We know that we're led of the Holy Ghost by the inward witness, by the inward knowing. Notice something else Paul said. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 23. 
Paul brings another aspect into this, another characteristic, another way to look at this. Paul standing before the high priest and the Jewish council. Verse 1, And Paul earnestly beholding the council said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. That's when the high priest commanded him to be struck across the face. And then they had a little conversation about that. Notice what he said. He said, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Now, here's Paul who's telling us to be spiritually minded. He's telling us to put spiritual things first. He's telling us to set aside the things of the li- of this life, set aside all the weights and the hindrances and so forth, as he said to the, the Hebrews. He said to us to put first things first. Put spiritual things first. He's the one that told us about spirit, soul, and body. He's the one that tells us about being led of the Holy Ghost and the inward witness and so forth. And he says that he exercises himself. In other words, he makes a priority in his life to follow his conscience. Well, then unless Paul is preaching, living something other than what he's preaching, the conscience has to have something to do with the spirit. Turn with me over just to one chapter, to chapter 24, I believe it is. Here's Paul standing before Festus. One of the Jewish or, or the uh, Roman rulers. Notice he says in verse 16, he said, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Notice what he said the business of his life was. He said, The business of my life is to have a clear conscience. Well, I thought he told us to put spiritual things first. I thought he told us to, to pursue spiritual things, to develop in spirit and so forth. If he's not doing what he's preaching, then we need to throw away his preaching. He's not somebody that we should follow. But if, on the other hand, putting spiritual things first, developing in spirit has to do with the conscience, that's another matter entirely. Turn back with me to Romans chapter 9 now. Or turn over with me to Romans chapter 9. One other scripture. Notice he said in writing to the Romans chapter 9 verse 1, he said, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Now he said the Holy Spirit's going to lead us by the inward witness. Now he says the Holy Ghost is bearing witness with his conscience. Now again, sometimes um, definitions, word definitions uh, aren't really helpful. Because it's hard to explain and, de- and describe spiritual things with natural terms. The word conscience literally means uh, moral comportment. Like that helps. Let me give you a definition, a working definition of conscience. Conscience is what you ought to do. Your conscience tells you what you ought to do or what you ought not to do. As a matter of fact, you remember in Romans chapter 7 and 8, Paul talks about his own struggle and, and his experience about how he came to overcome the the, uh, the activities of his flesh and the uh, the desires of his flesh and so forth. He said, there's a war, there's a struggle going on. He said, the man on the inside is struggling with the man on the outside, the flesh. He said, the things that I would do, I do not. King James translation says, that which I would do, I do not. And that which I would not do, meaning the man on the inside, that's what I do. Another translation says, ought to do instead of would. In other words, he's saying that the, the, the conflict that's going on in my life is my flesh is pulling me into things that I ought not to do. And the things that I know I ought to do, that's what I don't seem to have the ability to overcome and to do. Overcome to the desires of the flesh and to do. 
So what he's saying, even though he never uses the word conscience, he's saying, my conscience is where the conflict is. Because my body's trying to do something more than other than what I know I ought to do. And that's what he calls the spiritual war that's taking place on the inside of it. The Bible talks a lot about the conscience and never uses the term. A lot about that. Can I give you a couple of examples? Turn with me over to uh, Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Paul and his company come to a place where they don't know which way God wants them to go. They come to a crossroads. Let's start reading in verse 6. It says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Now we, now we don't know how that happened. We don't know how the Holy Ghost told them not to go, but they were forbidden. They understood very clearly by the Holy Ghost that they're not supposed to go into Asia. In other words, don't go east. So what are they going to do? Verse 7, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed. The word essayed means to attempt They attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. They can't go north. Now, again, we don't know how the Spirit forbid them, told them not to go to the east, and told them not to go north. We don't know how that worked, but we know that it did. Verse 8, and they passing by Mysia came down to Troas. Verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia. Notice this phrase, Assuredly gathering that the Lord had called for us to preach the gospel unto them. Now let me use my own terms and tell you what happened. They're trying to go east and the Holy Ghost some way or another says no. Now if, if, uh, if it, the Holy Spirit had spoken through one of them, if one of them had prophesied, I think the Holy Ghost would have given us record of that. So somehow how they were forbidden to me, says that they had an inward knowing they can't go there. If it was an outward sign, if it was an outward somebody showing up, if if, uh, uh, if Barnabas had showed up and prophesied or, or one of the others had uh, done something like that, we would have to have a record of that. We don't have any outside influence being involved. We just simply have Paul and his company knowing they're not supposed to go to the east. And the Holy Spirit identifies that. In these terms, they were forbidden by the Holy Ghost to go. Then they said, okay, well, if we can't go east, I guess we'll go north. We'll go to Bithynia. But the Holy Spirit wouldn't let them. They tried. They wanted to. I guess they're using their own imagination. They're saying, well, if we can't go east, the, the next place, place to go would be Bithynia. So let's go to Bithynia. And so they may be even started on the way. But it said, but the Spirit suffered them not. I don't know how. But since, again, there's no outside influence being talked about, it had to be something from an inside guidance by the Holy Ghost. In other words, they tried to go east, couldn't go east, because the Holy Ghost did something. There was some kind of witness on the inside, some kind of inward knowing on the inside, whatever phrase you want to use with it or term. Yours is as good as mine. But they knew they couldn't go there. Then they tried to go to the other direction, and the Holy Ghost suffered them not to go that way. Again, it's got to be an inward something. An inward guidance, an inward direction, an inward knowing that says, no, you can't go there either. So what do they do? They camped out. They stayed overnight at Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision. And in this vision, there was a man from Macedonia, 
in the vision who said, come over here and help us. And the next morning, he shares that with the rest of the group. And they said, that must be where we're going to, where we're supposed to go. The scripture says they assuredly gathered that the Holy Ghost wanted them to go there. Do you know what that means? That means they knew that they ought to go to Philippi or Macedonia. Philippi was the chief city. So what is the Holy Ghost doing? He's bearing witness with their conscience. A vision bore witness with their conscience. This is where we ought to go. Now, unfortunately, too many people only know their conscience by doing the wrong thing. Too many times people recognize their conscience only when they make a mistake and then they think, I shouldn't have done that. And folks, that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's really not the way it's supposed to be. Let me give you a good example of something uh, that just happened yesterday. I got it. And, and I don't I don't uh, this is not somebody that's in the church. And, and I wouldn't it wouldn't bother me if it was because I'm not saying anything to, to hurt anybody. I, I'm saying it to try to be a help so that we can all see. And, it, and the same thing would be true of them. It's not a criticism. It's just something is, that all of us deal with. But I got an email from somebody in the church who has a friend outside the church that they're talking to, who has some sickness in their family. I think it's the guy's wife that's sick. And uh, and so uh, the guy in our church is trying to encourage him and share scriptures with him and tell him about different services that we've recently had and, and share things like that. And, and the part of the email that I got that was forwarded to me said, thanks for the, the scriptures, those are great, et cetera, et cetera, and then started talking about the situation with his wife. And he said this. He said, now, I want you to know that I do take God at his word, so I am praying for her healing. But I'm also praying for the will of God to be done because I know, get these for the words, I'm, I'm quoting directly, because I know that God doesn't heal everyone. And then he said this, now get this, please remember what I'm saying because I want to take it apart and show you. And then he said this, he said, maybe that's my lack of faith. And then he went on and had some other things to say. Well, the person sent the email to me wanting to know how do I respond to my friend? Well, what I told him is basically what I'm telling you. He knows by an inward witness. He knows that he's not in faith. Because why else would he say, maybe that's my lack of faith? Is the devil going to tell him that? It's pretty obvious that he doesn't know enough about the word and what the prayer of faith is to know that on his own. So if it's not him and it's not the devil, where has it got to be coming from? It's got to be the Holy Ghost. So here's somebody that knows nothing about being led by the Holy Ghost, that the Holy Ghost is trying to lead him. So I shared with him, the Bible says it's the prayer of faith that saves the sick, not the prayer of the will of God be done. But see, he knows that already. He might, I hope it's an encouragement, I hope his friend tells him in such a way that he can receive it and it helps him, but he knows that already. He's got an inward witness. He's got a witness by the Holy Ghost without knowing anything in the world about being led by the Holy Ghost. Here he is being led. But he doesn't know to listen. He doesn't know to listen. How many times have we done that very same thing in our own lives? Now, folks, the inward knowing is what changed our lives and started this church. In August of 1984, I was talking with a friend of mine that I used to work with at uh, Ramah, working with Brother Hagen, and through that conversation, not through anything he says. As a matter of fact, he made a joke about something, and, and the Lord dropped something on the inside of me. I instantly, immediately knew that I was supposed to come to this area and start a church. Now, I'd been offered other churches before in the previous year and a half. And, and had no desire really to pastor whatsoever. 
But in one moment of time, I had an inward knowing. Jesus said, my sheep, I know my sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and I'm known of mine. My sheep hear and know my voice, he said. All of a sudden, I just knew. I knew that's what I was supposed to do. Went home, told Beth about it, didn't tell her. uh, I told her about the conversation, didn't tell her what happened on the inside of me. And the same thing happened with her. She immediately knew. She knew exactly the same thing at the same time. It's a good thing. It had to leave her in Tulsa. (laughs) Now, how does that work? Well, how do you explain that? How do you explain that? You tell somebody something like that, and people will come up with all kinds of ideas. They'll say, oh, well, here's what I want to do, so I'm going to say I knew that too. And, folks, i got to tell you, I've tried to give myself a lot of knowings and acted on those knowings I gave myself, and they didn't work. I can say without hesitation that I've never had a knowing about an investment, a financial investment. I've had some warnings. We had an opportunity to invest in some oil wells back in the 1980s. And everybody else was striking it rich. We had friends that were making big money on oil investments. Seems like everywhere you dug a hole in the ground, oil was popping up. And so we had an opportunity to invest some money, and man, we started seeing dollar signs. We're counting barrels and how much each barrel would make us and all this kind of stuff. And to be honest with you, truly honest with you, I never could get to the place. And I've done this on two different occasions. Two different occasions. I never was able to get to the place where I could get past the the dollar signs in my eyes to get quiet enough to hear from the Lord to find out what I should do. And I lost my investment both times. I have great respect for people that can get quiet enough to hear on financial matters like that. Now, when it comes to church things and stuff like that, there's nothing at risk. I'm not willing to risk the church money on anything that God hadn't told me to do. So it's a totally different situation. But in both of those two situations, now, I'll have to tell you, God's turned it around. He worked it out in such a way that we got the the initial investment back off of tax credits and, and, uh, and, and stuff like that, being able to claim losses and so forth. So financially, really, as far as the dollar amounts are concerned, we really didn't lose anything, but we sure didn't make anything on the investment. But I can also tell you people that do that for a living, and they hit it every time. Well, why? Does God not want me to invest any money and have any money? No, he expects me to be led by the Spirit on that thing, and, and I ha- don't have enough experience with it, have never had enough experience with it to get past the feelings of what I want it to be. But God doesn't lead you by feelings. God doesn't lead you by what you want it to be. Now, wouldn't it be nice for me to say, well, wouldn't God see that I was going to be in the ministry and serve him with my life and make it work out just for me anyway? That's not the way it works. I don't get a pass any more than you do. We're supposed to be led by our spirits. Now, when it came, once we got out here, once we got out here to do the work of God and start the church, everything else, without exception, every other piece of this has been the inward witness. Not something as strong as an inward knowing, just an inward witness. Now, what's the difference in the conscience, the inward witness, and the inward uh, knowing? What's the difference in those? What is the difference in those? Well, I know this. I know your conscience is developed through the knowledge of the word. For example, when you get saved, when you get born again, the Holy Ghost puts the love of God in your heart. And you know what the love of God is. There's a lots of scripture about what the love of God is. 
The love of God is patient and kind, is long-suffering and so forth. It believes the best of every person. It doesn't take account of an evil, uh, a suffered wrong and, and evil done to it and stuff like that. We can go through a lot of different scriptures to identify love. We know what the love of God is. And so anything that has to do with the Word of God, the Holy Spirit has something uh, to work with in us because that's what he said that he'll testify of Jesus with. That's what he said he'll teach us of. And that's how he said he'll guide us into all truth. All of those things have to do with the Word of God. But the Word of God's not going to tell you whether you're supposed to move to the next town or not. So how are you going to know on those things? How are you going to know? Or something not as important as that, how are you going to know whether or not you could take take the right turn or the left turn in your normal course of activity in your life? How are you going to know those things? That's where the inward witness comes in. See, the things that my conscience tells me are things that I know of what I ought to do because the Word defines those. But when it comes to should I make this investment or should I take this step or should I take this course of action, that's going to be something I'm going to have to spend a little bit more time with the Lord about to make sure I have a witness of what should be or shouldn't be. Now, you want to know how to find your conscience. As I said, most people only know that and most have most people have experience of that only when they make mistakes. I can look back at those both of those investments and say, I know I shouldn't have done that. I can look back now and, and the inward witness is a lot easier to find now than it was at the time. Because now I don't have any emotions attached to it except the ones that I'm trying to kick myself over, you know. The only emotions I have now are regret. But back then I was excited. Oh, boy, this is going to make us a lot of money. Oh, and, and, and look, Beth, what we can do with all this money. We can do so much good. Folks, God doesn't need your help doing good. You still have to be led by the Spirit. But you get emotions in t- in, uh, tied up with things, and it's hard to hear the voice of your own spirit, isn't it? That's where people want to cut the corners. They say, well, I tell you what, let's just put out a fleece. Let's just let God open the doors. And they'll say things. You don't hear the term fleece much anymore, but you'll have people say, now, Lord, if you want me to do this, you open this door. And it's always something in the circumstantial realm. Well, that's the area where God, where Satan is the God of. Satan opens and closes circumstances with doors, doors of circumstance. And even if you remember the story in the Old Testament when Gideon put out a fleece, he didn't know if it was right or not. He had to do it twice. First time it worked just the way he said, ask God for it. And he said, well, I'm not sure about this. Let's turn it around and do it the other way next time. Worked out that way, and he said, well, okay, I guess that's it then. But he didn't have the Holy Ghost on the inside of him. He couldn't expect to be led by the Holy Spirit. Couldn't expect that at all. Now, here's the question. Is your conscience a safe guide? It is for the child of God. Because the child of God has the love of God shed abroad in their heart, their spirits. And the more you feed on the Word of God, the more you equip and feed your conscience with the truth of what you ought to do. But unfortunately, too many people want to take shortcuts. They don't want to spend the time necessary with the Lord to find out what they should do or how. We get in a hurry. We get excited. We want to take things in our own course, in our own way. We want to think things through. We, have a, we, we develop our own plans. We say, okay, well, here's how we've got it figured out. Well, 
you can figure out a lot of things that aren't according to the leading of the Holy Ghost. That, again, that's Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, your spirit, and lean not to your own understanding. Lean not to your own understanding. Lean not to your own understanding. What does that mean? That means don't trust your own thinking. Don't trust your own thinking. Now, when can we trust our own thinking? When we renew our minds to the truth. When we renew our minds to the word. See, thoughts are governed by observations, associations, and teachings. So until and unless you renew your mind to the word, you're never going to be able to trust your thinking because your thinking's not in line with the word. And that's where you're going to have a conflict. You're going to have a conflict between what your spirit is trying to lead you into victory and what your thinking is trying to lead you to where it wants to go. Now, one of the things that I found has always helped me is to identify what does my flesh want to do in this. If I come up on a decision, I want to ask, what does my flesh want to do? I want to identify that first and foremost and get that out of the way. For example, if I'm, if I'm questioning whether or not the Lord wants me to move to Hawaii, first thing I identify is what does my flesh want? Well, folks, no offense, but my flesh wants to go. So I know then if my spirit tries to tell me to go somewhere my flesh already wants to go, I'm going to have to be doubly sure. Otherwise, I'm going to be doing what I did with those investments. My flesh wanted to do it. Yeah, let's risk it. Let's roll the dice. God's with us. We'll believe God. Well, we lost our money. Because I wasn't able to get past my flesh. Now, my wife was for it just as much as I was. But after the fact, she sits back and says, well, you know, you did that on your own, don't you? I had a witness in my heart all the time. I just didn't want to say anything. We do that, don't we? We let our flesh get all involved. And folks, your flesh, uh, well, literally in that case, your emotions, which is part of your soul, is part of what you can't lean to. That's part of the understanding. It's part of the soul that you can't lean upon. You've got to have an inside knowing. Brother Hagin talked about a guy that uh, um, that was a pastor, but, uh, but back in the Depression days, he took $5,000 and turned it into a half a million. And, and he was known for making investments. And he'd get into his closet. He had a great big palatial home, biggest home in town, the town that he lived in, and had been a successful businessman before he started the church that he was in. And, uh, and he said this guy had a, had a closet that was as big as most people's bedrooms. And so he said he literally would go into his closet. Now, that's not what the Bible means when it says go in your closet and pray. But in his case, that's exactly what he did. So he'd go into his closet and he'd pray. He'd stay in there sometimes three days at a time. Up to three days. I don't think he ever said he ever stayed more than three days. But he'd get in there, and if he wasn't sure, if he wasn't clear on something, then he'd fast, he'd spend some time before he'd make any investment. He said there were times where his business mind, his business experience would say, oh, man, this is a good deal, you ought to do that. But something on the inside would say no. So he wouldn't do it. Turned out to be a bad investment. Other times his mind said, you'd be a fool to get involved in this. But something on the inside, his spirit would say, yeah, do that. And it turned out to be golden. I used to hear that story. I used to hear Brother Hagin tell that story and think, yeah, Lord, I want to do that. 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 Not too many people are willing to spend the time praying over it, though. We all want quick answers, don't we? Folks, none of us are immune. We're used to instant results. 
Even more so than in generations past. Man, I mean, we go through the drive-thru and if we have to wait three minutes, we are ticked. Well, I think a lot of people expect God to have drive-thru service. I think a lot of people expect God to have give instant results. And folks, God doesn't move quickly. He's not in a hurry, no matter how big a hurry you may be in. And isn't that where we make our mistakes? The devil says, you gotta hurry, you gotta rush, better do it quick. If you don't do it today, it'll be gone, it'll be gone. Well, one thing I've learned, any of those it'll be gone tomorrow deals aren't for me. No telling how much I've saved myself and my family by just giving up on the got to do it today thing. I've I've at least learned that much. But that's where we make mistakes. And the mistakes are that people don't take the time to really get in the spirit to hear from the Lord. Have you ever noticed that that uh, that Paul that uh, what's his name John, when he talks about tells about the Revelation, the book, what we know of as the Book of Revelation, where he says, "I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day." Isn't it interesting? You look over and over again. The times where the Holy Ghost speaks is when people are either in the Spirit or they're ministering to the Lord. Acts chapter nine it says there were five men. Paul and Barnabas were two of them, all of them prophets and teachers. It says as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said. I wonder if the Holy Ghost would speak more to us if we'd spend more time ministering to Him and fasting. I don't think it's coincidental that the Bible says that John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day when Jesus appeared and told him about things to come. Well, that's part of the work of the Holy Ghost, isn't it? He'll show you things to come. He'll guide you into all truth and show you things to come. How's He going to do that? He's going to do that as we get away from natural things and focus on spiritual things. That's Again, that's why I think one of, one of the greatest spiritual exercises possible is speaking in other tongues. Because the more you speak in other tongues, the more you get in the Spirit. Paul said, if I pray in an unknown tongue, my Spirit prays. But my understanding is unfruitful. I don't know about you, but there is great benefit. I found great benefit in my life where the direction of God is concerned by separating my understanding from my Spirit. And those things don't come overnight. I remember again, Brother Hagin talking about one of the first times after he got uh, filled with the Holy Ghost, he began to pray in other tongues and the devil tried to tell him what a waste of time it was. How that he should be, he was already pastoring, how he should be preparing a sermon for the weekend rather than spending his time speaking in other tongues. And, and Brother Hagin just said to him, okay, well, because of you bothering me and trying to interrupt me, I'm going to double up. Instead of praying one hour in tongues down, I'm going to pray two hours. Well, two hours goes by, and he said it seemed like a week. But finally, two hours went by, and the, and the devil told him then, he said, now you've wasted two hours. He said, okay, Mr. Devil, just for that, I'm going to double up again. Now it's four hours. He said at two hours and 45 minutes, his, this is his description, he said at two hours and 45 minutes of praying in other tongues, he said, I hit a gusher. Now what is he saying? He's saying he got into the Spirit. He said he wound up praying a long, long time after that, and all of it was in the Spirit. And during that time, the Lord gave him some direction for his ministry and his life. Now, I also heard him say this uh, in relation to the same thing. He said it used to take, the first time it happened, he said it took me two hours and 45 minutes. He said, I've gotten it down to about 10 minutes now. He said, because I've exercised myself in that regard, he said, now I can get into the Spirit in about 10 minutes. Well, that gave me hope. Because I thought two hours and 45 minutes would kill me. 
But the point is, you've got to start somewhere, and it's not an easy place to get to to be in with. But the more you develop and the more you give yourself to it, the easier and easier it gets. The more you become conscious of spiritual things instead of natural things. But how many Christians do you know that's willing to do that? Unfortunately, if you tell Christians, if you tell the body of Christ, this is what it will take for you to find the will of God for your life and find direction for God's direction for whatever he has for you to do, that's still not enough incentive for most people. They'll still run off to somebody that claims to be a prophet and would know from God what you're supposed to do. They'd still be willing to put out a fleece or put out some circumstantial evidence as being the way to know what God's plan is for their lives. Folks, the, the, the bottom line is we are so physically aware, we are so physically conscious that it makes spiritual things indistinct. And here's the Holy Ghost trying to lead people all the time. Now, that fellow that I told you, that uh, uh, the fellow not in the church that wrote the email or was referred to in the email by the church member yesterday, he's got a great opportunity. Now, think about what the Holy Ghost is doing. The Holy Ghost is trying to show him that, the, that the, the, the thing that makes the difference is the way that he's praying. He already knows that. He has recognized that he knows it, but he knows that. That's the witness of the Holy Ghost on the inside of him. If he does what he should do with that, if he does what he ought to do, in other words, if he follows his conscience, if he does what he ought to do, then he'll change the way that he's praying. Now, since the Holy Ghost guides you into all truth, all reality, all victory, think about what that means. Here's a situation where his wife's in pretty bad shape as far as the condition, physical condition of sickness and disease. It's a critical condition. Yet the Holy Ghost is trying to impress upon him, trying to show him, you can still change this. You can still get the victory of healing in this, in this case, in this situation. If he'll just follow his conscience, if he'll just follow what his spirit is trying to tell him, here's what you ought to do. You ought to change the way that you're praying. That's the only thing that it can possibly mean, folks. Victory is still available. But the question is, what's he going to do? Is he going to take the voice of his uh, his spirit, which is the conscience? Man is spirit, soul, and body. Both the body, the soul, and the spirit have a voice. All three of them. The voice of the body is feelings. The voice of the soul... Is reason. The voice of the spirit is conscience. So what's he going to do? Is he going to listen to his conscience? If he does, if he says, you know, I'm beginning to see something. I accept, I recognize now, that's the Holy Ghost trying to show me how to get my wife healed. If he accepts that and follows that conscience, he follows the leading of the Holy Ghost, which is his own spirit speaking to him. In other words, if he listens to his spirit, he can gain victory for his wife and healing. But if he does like so many of us has done, and, and I'm not, not criticizing, I don't know what he's going to do. But if he does like what I've done so many times before I found out, before I learned, there's so many things I can look back in my life and realize that was the Holy Ghost trying to tell me, trying to lead me, trying to avoid some of this problem that I got myself into, trying to help me. But I did like so many people do. I just thought, well, whatever. I just don't know what I'm going to do. And fail to accept that that's the voice of my own spirit, the Holy Spirit bearing witness with my spirit and go my own way instead of what the Holy Ghost is leading me to do. Then we wind up in trouble. And that's where so many Christians say, I don't know why God let this happen to me. When in fact, the Holy Spirit, through the voice of their own spirit, their conscience was trying to keep them to, from getting in the middle of it to begin with. I, I don't know how it works in heaven, folks, but I really, really hope that God is gracious enough to give me a sideline seat. 
when all these people that talk about what they're going to ask the Lord when they get there have their chance. When all these people that talk about all the tragedy that's happened in people's lives and say, I want to know why the Lord let that happen. I want to sit there and listen when they ask. The fact is they won't ask because then they'll know. They'll recognize as so many of us will. Well, I hope, I, I hope it's not me, but I can already see some things in the past in my life. But there's so many Christians that are going to stand there and realize the tragedy and the trouble and the adversity that we got found ourselves in. The Holy Ghost was trying to avoid all the time. He's trying to help us to avoid every bit of it all along the way. Yet we just wouldn't listen. We wouldn't listen to our own spirits. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. It's the flashlight of the Lord. It's the way he provides guidance in darkness. When your mind doesn't know what to do, your spirit will show you the direction to go. But you've got to learn to listen to your spirit. You've got to learn to listen to your spirit. Conscience said, Paul said about his conscience, he said, I have lived in all good conscience before God and man. He said, I exercise myself always to have a good conscience. He even wrote to Timothy, he said, the end of the commandment is unfeigned or sincere faith and a good conscience. In other words, you follow what your spirit tells you you ought to do. You'll walk in victory every time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the privilege to be led of the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Father, that the Spirit of God is always speaking to our heart. Whether we call it an inward witness or an inward knowing or conscience, the voice of our own spirit, we thank you, Father, that we're never without direction. Because the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Thank you, Father, that when it seems that our mind comes to a place where we don't know what to do, we can always look inside. Because the Holy Spirit never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He dwells with us forever. And he'll guide us into reality. The reality of who we are in Christ and all the blessings that we have because of his sacrifice. Thank you, Father, for leading us by your spirit. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.